Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 73 degrees outside. Looks like at least for a good portion of our listening area, except um, the northern part, the rain is moving out over the area. Hopefully it will be a wonderful afternoon. We have a number of interesting things to discuss on today's program. Some serious stuff at the beginning. We get a little bit lighter as the program goes on. Pop Culture Corner coming up at 2.35 this afternoon if you want a head start. All right, as to what Pop Culture Corner is going to be this week, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. Got that story up there. In addition, there are two videos that I, I've tweeted out as part of topics we're going to be discussing later. You you don't need to see the videos to participate in the topics and hopefully to enjoy them, but if you follow me on Twitter, you can do it. One is an instance, instance that happened at a baseball game night before last in Baltimore. The Baltimore Orioles have been absolutely horrible over the, the last several years. What ended up happening is... Nobody's in those stands. Foul ball goes in the stands, and an adult, well, gets into a race with a couple kids. It's all on video. If you want to see it, we will discuss that as well as to what the proper protocol is. And then I want to revisit something we talked about last week. One of my pet peeves all along has been, for years and years and years, has been the sensationalism that goes with weather coverage in the media, which isn't to say that when there's a big storm coming, yeah, of course, you break in and you inform people about it. There is a meteorologist in Illinois who actually got fed up with what he believed was the overhyping of routine weather situations. He has now been fired. And if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I've got not only the, the story about his firing, but I've also got the, the segment of the TV broadcast, what he said that got him fired. We're going to play that a little bit later on in the show, and we are going to discuss that. But first, let's talk about this tragic story, and, and I guess here's the way I start. Of course they should change their procedures and search people. All right, here is, is the story. Awful story out of Appleton happened on May 15th. So a couple of weeks ago, it was the story about a guy who, well, the long story short, gets on a bus in Wausau in the morning, goes down to Milwaukee. And the bus, it's apparently it's Wausau to Appleton to Milwaukee. He's then coming back. So he leaves Milwaukee later in the afternoon, going to go back to Wausau through Appleton. Apparently what happens is on the Milwaukee to Appleton leg of the trip, he goes into the bathroom that's on the bus. He comes back and essentially passes out in his seat. They can't wake him up. He's breathing heavily, snoring, etc., etc. Apparently what happened was he took morphine on the bus. And so he's now, he's, he's passed out. And the concern is that there is a drug overdose. So the bus gets back into Appleton. And the bus company, the drivers, the passengers, they call 911. 
and they think they've got a guy who is in distress. The paramedics arrive. The police arrive. And the paramedics immediately determine this to be a drug overdose. What they do is they begin administering first aid, including this Narcan, and, and they're able to they're able to wake him up and, and get him conscious. Okay, they give him two doses of this Narcan. Then what happens is the police. Now everybody's there, so you know this incident on the bus. The police encourage him to get get additional help. You know, you need to go to the hospital. You know, you can't continue on this journey. You need to go to the hospital. The guy refuses to do that. The bus company says, sir, you can't get back on the bus again. You know, you know, we're we're concerned that you're going to overdose again, etc. At which point in time the guy becomes increasingly agitated. Right? One of the police officers notices that the man has a bulge on his hip and they begin to believe that he's armed. So the police officer says, here, let, let me let me pat you down, etc. At which point in time, the guy pulls out his gun and starts firing. This leads to a gun battle that breaks out, you know, around the area of the buses. At one point in time, the defendant, the person who's doing the shooting, he, he grabs a, a woman and kind of uses her as a human shield. The upshot of this is that one of the firefighters one of the first responders is hit and killed hit and killed the shooter the defendant he is ultimately killed in the hail of gunfire and the woman that he took as as the human shield the hostage she's wounded but she's going to survive all right so that's the background police appropriate the district attorney looks at this and says no criminal charges are appropriate here it was a it was a legitimate shooting but here's one of the interesting aspects of this Apparently, first responders, when they come on to the scene, the protocol is that you find somebody who's zoned out on drugs, or in this case, unconscious. They do not do a weapons check. You don't pat them down to determine whether or not they might be armed. Because in this particular case, and again, hindsight is twenty twenty. The, the paramedics did nothing wrong. They were following protocol. But if you would have patted this guy down, you would have immediately discovered that he had a gun. And what you would have presumably done, he's unconscious, you would have taken the gun away from him before you started administering the treatment. This would just take a matter of seconds to do, but they don't do it because it's not the protocol. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. They now say that up in Green Bay and in Appleton, law enforcement is taking a, a long look at their policy, and they are trying to determine should, when you're confronted with a situation like this, should the first responders perform quick searches to make sure that the patient's aren't carrying weapons, my answer would be, what's to even think about? Of course they should. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, nobody did anything wrong except for the shooter in this particular case. So this isn't a criticism of the first responders or the police, but it is a question of, of protocols. And I would argue that, you know, when you come upon somebody who is... I don't know, in, in a crisis situation, particularly if it appears that it's somebody who's, you know, involved in a drug overdose or whatever, you know, you, you, you have every right and should have every right to pat them down to determine whether or not they are carrying a firearm because 
Who knows what they could do with it? And this is an example of what can go wrong if you don't find that gun. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, they're looking at the protocol. My response would be, of course you should pat somebody down. You find somebody passed out in an alley and you think it's a drug overdose. Yes, it, it takes you all of about five seconds while you're administering the first aid, etc. Pat them down. Find out if they've got a knife. Find out if they've got a gun. And then take it from them. While you are administering the treatment, you can always give it back to them. Am I missing something? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Let's start out with a couple texts. This better become the protocol immediately. Yeah, to me, this just absolutely makes sense. If you are a first responder and you come upon somebody who is in some form of distress, you come upon somebody that you think has been involved in a drug overdose or whatever, yeah, as, as part of the whole assessment process, yeah, I, I think you're, it's perfectly reasonable to say take take a couple seconds, and that's all it takes, do a quick pat down if they had done that. And I'm not faulting them. This wasn't the protocol. They would have found that this guy had a, a handgun in his waistband or on his hip or something like that, and, and they would have been able to remove it. So they bring him back. You know, he's agitated. He ends up ultimately then, you know, pulling out the gun and shooting, and one of the first responders has passed away. Yeah, this should be the protocol across the state. It should be the protocol across the country, 414 Seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Nathan in Milwaukee. Nathan, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my sure. call. Um, I, I don't know the answer. I just kind of wanted to raise this as a question to think about. By just having this sort of blind policy, you come across someone unconscious, got to pat them down. Mm-hmm. Do we have issue that that's like somehow an illegal search? It was obviously not a warrant, and without a mm-hmm. cop saying we know for sure this guy did something wrong, potentially a threat. You just tell it paramedics, cop whoever's first testing, you have to, to pat the person down blindly because that leads to lawsuits or other unforeseen problems. Well, I guess, and it takes the call. What, I mean, I had a professor in law school who always told me that, you know, you can sue anybody for anything, but that doesn't mean you could win. Under these circumstances, I, I don't think it would go anywhere. Police officers who come into contact with people, and for this applies to first responders as well, have a right to do brief, you know, what they call them is stop and frisks. And the question always becomes, all right, did, did you have a basis for having that contact in the first place? Now, in this particular situation, you're the 911 guy. You are, you are responding. And the idea is, you know, if you come into contact with somebody, you have a right as a police officer or first responder or whatever, you have a right to, to make sure that, you know, you're not walking into a dangerous situation. So you can do that, that quick stop and frisk. The question, like I say, with that issue is always, did you have a right to, you know, to, to make that stop in the first place. In this particular case, I mean, the way I kind of puzzle it out off the top of my head is you, you've already, yes, you are justified. You're having contact with the person. It is a legitimate contact. It is a legitimate stop because, you know, they're passed out or, you know, in the drug overdose or whatever. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't think there would be any constitutional problems at all with, again, making a brief protective search to determine if somebody is armed. And candidly, I don't know what Dane County judges would do with this, but I don't think most judges would would think that there's any sort of problem with this at all. Bottom line is it's to secure the safety, in this case, of either the law enforcement people or the first responders. All right, Jeff, do you really think first responders in Appleton are waiting for approval to take their long look at uh, at this to search drunk junkies? I sure wouldn't. Well, 
I mean, I wouldn't either. I guess I'm kind of surprised that that's not part of the protocol because you would think one of the first things that you're going to do is, again, when you're coming into contact with somebody in this type of situation, you, you want to find out, is there a gun involved? Is there a knife involved? You know, is there is there something that could get me in trouble? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, to me, th- this just this just makes sense. Now, once you find it, Let's say you find the gun. Well, I think you take the gun away from the person. Like I say, you can always give it back. What if you find, I mean, what what if you find a bunch of heroin in the guy's pocket or whatever? Well, okay. I mean, I I think that's a legitimate thing that you've discovered as well. You're also, in addition to trying to find out if he's armed, you're probably trying to find out what is it that this guy took. Let's talk to Jeff in the Fox Valley. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Yes, sir. First First time calling, long time listener. Thank you. Uh, retired firefighter paramedic. Uh, as part of our job duties as a uh, paramedic and EMT and a medical first responder, you have to do a uh, a full body survey on a, a patient that is unconscious for an unknown reason. And, and so, for that reason, I believe that the first responders should be doing that as mm-hmm. part of their practice and their protocol. And, and you're saying not you're saying not just for the safety of the first responder, but also to try to use that as a diagnostic tool. What 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 has caused this guy to pass out? Oh, we just found a bag of heroin in his pocket or something. That tells you maybe what's going on. Yeah, that's correct. Sure. And, and many times in my career that, you know, we did have those situations where you have an unresponsive patient for an unknown cause. They might have had you know, a pill bottle in there that they over-prescribe sure. themselves, overtaken, And so I, I think that, you know, from a EMS perspective, you know, there are things in place already in their standard protocols that they do. And, I, you know, been a uh, paramedic instructor as well as mm-hmm. an American heart instructor. And, you know, that, that by training is, is standard procedure. Yeah, well, right, I- exactly. And if it's, I, I mean, I, I think that this just demonstrates this demonstrates one of the dangers that there is if, if you don't do it. Now, thankfully, this is a rare situation where you have the guy that comes back and then he's armed and he pulls out a gun. But if if it's something that could be preventable, well, then I say let let's prevent it. Yeah, right. Yeah, you want to be prepared and you want to prevent those situations and you know not second guessing anybody because no. I'm sure that they were out there doing their job and. Um, and, you know, that's one of the byproducts of giving Narcan out there um, in the communities now. You're waking these people up. And right. Some are waking up very violent. Yeah. No, thanks. That, that's a very good point. I mean, that is the I mean, everybody, a lot of the first responders, they have the Narcan. This is how they deal with the drug overdoses. They are doing their job. They deserve all that credit for it. But to his point, he's exactly right. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in this particular case. I don't know if there was mental illness don't know what was going on here exactly but the guy you know woke up in an agitated state and once he found out they weren't going to let him back on the bus he got more agitated and one thing escalated and now you've got a first responder who's passed away you've got you know he's dead you've got an innocent person who was in the area who got grabbed you know she gets injured again you have to try to learn from these things and say what can we do to prevent them moving forward katie in burlington hi katie you're in wtmj Hi, I might be repeating the previous caller, but, you know, I took CPR training. One of the first things they teach you, I believe it's part of the acronym, is to make sure the situation's safe. I mean, you don't send, you don't administer first aid until you know you are safe and it's a safe environment for you to do so. Mm -hmm. I can't, that's standard. So I don't understand why there's any issue with 
anyone who's a first responder looking for weapons. I mean, that's part of safety. It it just seems so basic, and it has nothing... Yeah. No, I mean, this led... Right. I mean, there were were 24 shots that were fired, you know, in in this in this, this situation. Now, a lot were fired by the police officers, but, I mean, here you have a situation that goes from, like, zero to 60 in the, in the matter of seconds when suddenly the guy gets agitated. Yeah, you're, you're right. It would seem to me first thing you do as part of the triage, assessing what's going on there is, hey, let's see if this guy's got a gun or he's got a knife or whatever, and if he does, let's take it away from him while we're administering the help. Yeah, and that language is already part of the training, isn't it? You assess the situation. Is it safe to administer first aid? That's what first responders learn. How is checking for a weapon not just an inherent part of that? I no. don't. I don't understand. No, thanks, Nicole. I, I, I again, I, I don't either. And to the extent, and again, the the authorities up in the area, they're analyzing this and they're saying, okay, do we do we need to change the protocols to deal with this? And to the extent you need to change the protocols, my answer would be do it. I mean, to me, this is. This is, with all due respect, it's, it's a no-brainer. You find somebody that's passed out or, you know, in need of help. As you are triaging them, find out if they're armed and take the weapon away from them, you know, as part of the overall thing. Like I say, worst-case scenario, you can always give it back. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I don't want to be that guy. I don't care if it's a baseball or a T-shirt that's falling from the ceiling or is being tossed into the crowd. I don't want to be that guy. What guy am I talking about? Well, I've got a video of this that's up there. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's the deal. Baseball game Wednesday night. The Toronto Blue Jays are playing the Baltimore Orioles in Baltimore, my hometown. Toronto is horrible. Baltimore is worse. These are two of the worst teams in baseball. Baltimore might arguably be the worst team. So it's a Wednesday night game between two really bad teams. The stadium is pretty much empty. There's um, a, The announced attendance is 11,000, and that, that's tickets sold. So that probably means about 4,000 people came dressed as empty seats. So you, you've got oh, nobody in the stands. Game runs four hours. That's another story. But it, there's nobody there, so it's empty. What happens is, and they have a video of this, in the middle of the fifth inning, one of the players hits a foul ball down the left field line, and it ends up in a vacant section of the stands. I mean, there's there's nobody sitting in this particular section. So what you see, all right, there's a foul ball. And foul balls, just like free Gruber Law Office T-shirts, just make people go absolutely bat crap crazy. So what you see happen on this video is there's two little kids, eight, nine, ten, I don't know. There, and this is an empty section. They're running as hard as they can to try to retrieve the foul ball that, that's into the the section. You then see this guy who looks like he's in his thirties or forties, kind of a heavy set guy. He's racing like a bat out of you know where down down from the next section so he he the kids are running across the guy is running down they get to the foul ball at about the same time and you can see they're they're wrestling kind of wrestling with this and the guy comes up with the ball so he he it's i'm not saying he punched the kid or anything like that but but you know he's sort of wrestling with he got he got to it admittedly first but they both had to run and cover a big distance so he takes the ball and the two kids kind of walk back disappointed. So the kind of heavy set guy, he, he's going up and, and you can tell there's people yelling at him for 
taking the ball and not giving it to the kids and wrestling with the kids for it. And it at one point in time in the video, you can see that there must somebody this off camera is like yelling at him. And and the character, what he says is he says, I know it's terrible, but I've been coming here for 30 years and I want the foul ball. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have been going to baseball games since I was five or six years old. Matter of fact, the first professional baseball game I ever went to was at the old Memorial Stadium where the Baltimore Orioles used to play. I have never gotten a foul ball during a game. Never did. Came close a number of years ago um, uh, during the, the playoffs, what, 2011 or something, uh, Prince Fielder hit this screaming line drive foul ball into the area where I was sitting, and the, the guy at the row in front of me got it. If they had missed it, I would have probably caught it, but I've never gotten one. But you know what? I think it would be cool if you got a foul ball, just like I think it would be cool if, you know, you landed, you got one of those T-shirts that they dropped from the top of, of the arena. But there's no way in God's green earth that I'm going to race and wrestle a kid to try to get the foul ball. And even if I did race and wrestle the kid to get the foul ball, I'm giving that ball either to that kid or I'm flipping it to another kid or if I'm there with my nephew or my wife's grandson, they're getting the ball. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about baseball etiquette here. Would you wrestle or race small children to a foul ball and then keep it? Now, obviously, there's no law against it. But I'm not that guy, and I don't want to be that guy on video. Did the man do anything wrong? And I don't mean throw him out, but, you know, would, would you do something like that? It is, after all, he says he's been coming for 30 years, never got a foul ball. Well, he's gotten a foul ball now, but he's also getting quite a bit of attention. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the foul ball etiquette? Should adults be racing and wrestling small children over these balls? 414-799-1620. Jordan is lining up the calls. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to discuss in just a minute. My answer is let it go, buddy. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. A year or so ago, actually, I, you know, they do the T-shirt drops at the Bucks games and at the Mar- Marquette games. And a year or so ago, I, I did... One of the things I, I did, I caught a T-shirt. I mean, I was standing, it, it kind of landed like right on, on top of me, and I caught the T-shirt. And the first thing I did was I turned around and I found some kid that was in the stands close to me, and I gave him, the, I gave him that. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm not going to keep it. And there's no way in God's green earth that at least I would be, you know, racing some 8 or 9 or 10-year-old to a foul ball. And even if I got it first, that, then I'd give it to that kid. Uh, Jeff, this is from Pete. Jeff, um, I was at... Um, Old County Stadium during a Brewers Oriole game. I was running down the third base section with over ten with other ten year olds. We were pushed over by a forty ish guy holding a beer that retrieved the ball, hurt us, spilled beer on us, and didn't give us the ball. Never forgot that. It happened forty five years ago. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I can't help it. I just think this Oriole fan, yeah, he got the ball. But he's just a complete and total jerk. And what are you going to do with the foul ball? I mean, for goodness sakes, if you want a ball that badly, go into the merchandise store and buy one. Rob in Menominee Falls. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rob. Um, 
Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I have given foul balls back to kids and mostly at uh, Timber Rattler Stadium in Appleton. But, sure. Um, I caught a home run ball in 94 in Colorado. It was Dante Bichette's first home run of the year. And I had, I had my glove along. I was in the outfield, obviously, and I shipped it down a couple of people and caught the ball on the fly. And I kept it because it was his home, first home run of the year. Sure. And he was a brewer coming in. Sure. So, yeah, so it had some significance. When you're catching a home run as a foul ball? Well, I, I mean... I don't. I guess my answer would be I don't. I don't know. You know, now the the current trend is when the opposition team hits a home run into the stands. You know, you you they, they throw the ball no, back. He was, he was a rocky yeah. at the time. Yeah, he was a rocky. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I look. I I guess if it's a ball that has special significance, that's fine. My guess, though, Rob, is also you you didn't you didn't race a bunch of children to get the ball and kind no. of you know yeah. I mean, right. I, I again, right. Thanks. I mean, I understand. Look, if if there's a special ball. It, when you catch it, it's yours, and you can decide to do what you want with it. I get it; you have that right to do it. I'm just saying this was not this was not some special, significant ball. This wasn't Robin Yount's three thousandth hit. This was a foul ball that was hit down the left field line into an empty set uh, sets of uh, seats on on a Wednesday night when nobody's in attendance there. All right. I'm just saying I think the decent thing to do would have been to give it to the kids. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff, I'm mom to a six, three and one year old. My husband and I try to get foul balls for our kids. However, we would never expect an adult to give a foul ball to our kids. Huh? Um, we don't know their story. Everybody has one. Well, you know, you know, you know, the guy's story. He says, Hey, I've been coming for 30 years. I've never gotten a foul ball. I want it. Oh, okay. Um, well, you, you got it, but. Maybe if it was hit, well, no, even if it was hit directly to me and I caught it on the fly, I'm still going to give it to some child because it's going to make that kid's day. Talk about a special ball, that might be a different dynamic, but this is not that special ball. Here's some of our other texts. What a loser. If getting a foul ball is of that much importance, just go buy a new one at the uh, store. Here's another one. I caught one at Wrigley Field and gave it to a four-year-old girl sitting behind me. What the heck do I need a ball for? Well, again, you know, it's... If if it's a significant ball or something, I I understand. But kind of this like routine foul ball. If it falls in your lap, okay, and then you put it in your pocket. But if you watch the video of this, the guy is I mean he's racing the kids to the ball, and they're you know then they're all around the seat and they're reaching down under it, and the kids are reaching and he's reaching and he comes up with it first. And okay, so he he got he got it. But I'm sorry, <laughs> he actually even says I know it's terrible, but I want it. Well, okay, maybe that's one of the object lessons, that if you know it's terrible, that tells you it's doing the wrong thing, and maybe you should just give it up. This is Jeff Wagner. Mike and Marquette, Michigan text. Jeff, if kids are running towards the ball, I'm letting it go. If I caught one that went to me, I'm either giving it to my son or a kid in the area. Little kids live for things like this, and I want to see them enjoy it and love baseball. Amanda in Menominee Falls says, maybe, capital letters, maybe, 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 if it were a milestone ball, it might be excusable. But come on, give the kids the memory. It means so much more to them and will give them that lasting memory. Yes, I, I agree. Now, Justin, who's doing double duty producing the show, you're, you know, you're playing devil's advocate there, and you are saying that if you're at Miller Park and Christian Yelich hits his 100th home run at Miller Park, you are wrestling the kids. Oh, for the you ball. know it, Jeff. Okay. 
All right, that's the 100th home run. What if you're sitting down the third base line and same sort of deal, Christian Yelich hits a routine foul ball, are you going to run around and wrestle kids for that foul ball? No, I wouldn't care for it. Of course not. Right, okay. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So as I say, and I, I get that. I mean, change the facts a little, and if it's an historically significant sort of baseball, all right, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I'm still I'm still not sure. I can't picture myself even for an historically significant baseball ra- racing and <clears throat> pushing over other people. But but I don't know. Never been presented with that circumstance. I do know that for the routine foul ball that hits in the stands, I, I'm not running and I'm not I'm not trying to you know beat beat the ten year old kid to the ball. You're not going to see me on that video. Period. Okay. Uh, this is a story that I admit I have been – the spin on this story drives me absolutely crazy. And all the attention and all the media coverage is not asking the right question. And the right question is, how come only three people were arrested? Not as many of you know, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I used to work with the U.S. Marshal Service. U.S. Marshal Service has a number of different responsibilities. They transport prisoners, for example, and they also are assigned to catch fugitives. So if you are, if you're wanted on a, on a, an arrest warrant or you've jumped bail or whatever, you know, it might be that the U.S. Marshal Service would be looking for you. So Wednesday night, Memphis, Tennessee, in what's the, it's called the Frazier neighborhood of Memphis, which I understand it's a predominantly minority, uh, minority neighborhood that has a lot of crime. All right. No question about it. And so there, there is, admittedly, there is a history. You've got a number of people who view apparently in that neighborhood who view the police as an occupying force, et cetera, et cetera. Well, about 7 p.m. on, on Wednesday, what happens is there is a 20-year-old guy. His name is Brandon Weber, and he is he is from the Frazier neighborhood. He rams a car, rams a car driven by U.S. Marshals who are attempting to um, arrest him on an outstanding warrant. Um, what happens is he's he's considered to be armed. Um, ultimately, there, there's a shootout which develops between the, the U.S. Marshals and between the, this 20-year-old, and he ends up he ends up dying in the shootout. All right. Immediately thereafter, you have hundreds and hundreds of people who decide that they they are going to stage a riot, and they show up and they're throwing rocks at police. There's like 20 some Memphis police officers that are injured as a result of this, and, and you've got again this widespread rioting which is going on because you have the these two as it turns out it's U.S. marshals that end up shooting this guy, and and this has happened like in an instant. Now nobody is asking the questions about okay why was it that this guy got got shot? It's just the immediate reaction is let's go and let's start throwing rocks and and essentially rioting. Well, all right, it now turns out that I mean here's here's the story. Um, apparently, in Mississippi, Hernando, Mississippi, this guy, this this Brandon Weber, the guy who was shot in Memphis. He was, there was a warrant out for him in connection with a June 3rd shooting. According to the police, 
as Brandon Weber had responded to a Craigslist posting for the sale of the car, driven to this Mississippi town, went and took a test drive of the car with the car's owner with him. As the car's owner got out of the vehicle, Weber pulled out a gun and shot the man five times before speeding away with the guy's car. All right, so he's gone to Mississippi. He's gone on this test drive. He's carjacked the car. He shot the car owner five times. And by the way, this car that he rammed the U.S. Marshal Service vehicle the other day in, that was the stolen car. That was the car that he had carjacked, you know, back in June. So, all right, and then, of course, you know, he's armed, and, you know, what ends up, and you end up having the, the shootout that you have the shootout. Well, you know, under these circumstances, all right, the first reaction of so many people in this community is we're going to go and we're going to riot. We're, we're not going to wait around, and we're not going to find out exactly what happened here. We're not going to let authorities tell their story. We're not going to wait until we know whether maybe it sounds like this is justified or not. But no, instead, we're going to take to the streets. We're going to throw rocks and bottles. We're going to start to light stuff on fire and all those things, and we're going to endanger the police. That's the reaction that you get. And I guess the most aggravating thing to me is they made a total of three arrests. Three arrests in connection with this. Now, I understand that, all right, you know, we're dealing with one of these riot sort of situations. People are throwing rocks and bottles. We've got all these cops that are getting injured. Oh, well, we don't want to further inflame the situation. Well, all right, maybe maybe you have to teach people that there are consequences to, I don't know, throwing bo- rocks and bottles at police officers and all. And, and maybe... Maybe if you make a bunch of arrests, maybe you just send that message. But again, all the coverage of this is, well, you have to understand why the community turned to rioting. Well, no, what what I understand is you have a bunch of people who just broke down into lawlessness without knowing the facts of a situation where it seems the police response was completely and totally appropriate and making this 20-year-old into some sort of victim when he was anything but that frustrating in the extreme. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Why couldn't he have just said this in the first place? We, we spent about 30 minutes yesterday talking about the, the latest faux pas created by, by President Trump, who in many respects... And this is the frustrating thing to me, who, who, as a person who thinks that a number of his policies, certainly not all the policies, but a number of the policies that he's implemented over the last couple of years are, are positive sort of things. You know, the economy is doing well in spite of him trying to start trade wars and things like that. But I do think he deserves some credit that, that he never gets. But in many respects, he is his own worst enemy. So the, the big story over the back portion of this week is for reasons that I I cannot begin to fathom. He decides that he wants to do a lengthy interview with George Stephanopoulos. That is the George Stephanopoulos of ABC News, but before that, uh, of Clinton administration fame, you know, a a friend of Hillary. Why, Why you sit down with George Stephanopoulos, who you know is going to be hostile to you, 
I, I don't know. That's my first question. But then in the course of, of the interview, you know, Stephanopoulos starts asking him questions which are, are not it's, – it's not like Stephanopoulos is a brilliant questioner. You know, he's there. He's going to ask gotcha questions. And so he asks this question of the president, hey, if somebody from a foreign government came to you – with dirt on, you know, one of your your opposing candidates, you know, would you take it? To which the president, I mean, this is a softball. Now, I understand he's kind of in a trick box because if he says, no, I wouldn't, then you say, well, how is this different than when your kid met with Russia, you know, two years ago? But but he says, well, sure, I would. Norway comes to me, absolutely, of course I would. And that then generates this huge firestorm over the last couple of days where all the Democrats are denouncing him for this, and you have most responsible Republicans who are running for the hills, rolling their eyes, going, really, has, has he learned nothing? Because, you know, fair or unfair, the, the first two years of the Trump administration has been tied up with allegations of the Russia collusion, of which, I mean, it was apparent to me that that was never going anywhere. But then you have the whole idea of, well, was there a cover-up? Was there obstruction of justice? When President Trump, upset with what he perceives to be an unfair investigation, then directs aides, who never did anything based on his direction, they ignored him, but directs aides to aides to do various things. It's just... But it's been a mess, all right? So he's now climbing out of this mess. The Mueller report is over, et cetera, et cetera, proving, though, that apparently he learns nothing from this. He sits down with Stephanopoulos, and his first response is, well, yeah, if one of these foreign governments came to me with information, yeah, I'd, 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 I wouldn't go to the FBI. Who goes to the FBI? Well, I don't know. Who has foreign governments coming to them trying to peddle information? The, the bottom line is, if, if we've learned nothing out of the last two years, we should have learned that you do have governments who have interests not necessarily on the same level, not, they're, they're not necessarily our friends who've been trying to influence elections. Russia, um, who knows, you know, what Red China is trying to do and things like that. And regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, independent, it is, number one, illegal, and number two, it's just bad policy. We want to try to, I think, identify and eliminate the influence of, you know, foreign nationals trying to play in our politics. It's difficult to do it. You know, you've got the World Wide Web now, so you have a number of these, I don't know, these foreign operatives who pretend to be citizens and they set up their own websites. It's tough to root out, but it's not like it's a good thing. So the the easy and the clear answer is, if I'm President Trump and George Stephanopoulos, you know, presents me with this, it would be, look, I'm not going to answer hypothetical sort of questions. You know, the law, the law is the law with regard to this, and I don't anticipate this is going to happen. But instead, he says, oh, sure, I take a look at it. And then there, there's a firestorm about this, which pushes him off message. So... Now, President Trump doesn't like to acknowledge that he's ever been wrong. But in this particular case, apparently there's enough people going to him saying, what what were you thinking or not thinking, where he goes in and he says what arguably he perhaps should have said in the first place. He's on Fox News this morning, and instead of saying, well, if a hostile foreign power offered me information, I would take it, he now says, I'd report it to the Attorney General and the FBI. I would report it to law enforcement absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. That's that's the proper response, not what he says to Stephanopoulos, where he says, I don't think in my whole life I've ever called the FBI in my whole life. 
You don't call the FBI. You throw somebody out of your office. You do whatever you do. Well, okay, this is the proper response, and it's what he should have said in the first place. And I guess my frustration with this is that you have a president who it, I guess it's just impossible to manage him. I, he just I, I don't I don't know if he's not that smart. I, I actually I think he's probably you know pretty smart, but he's just so very impulsive that I mean I understand you know he was trying to say well he doesn't want to acknowledge that he did anything wrong at all in the Russia investigation and in having you know members of his family have meetings with the Russians and stuff. So he's afraid if he says yes, if, oh if if somebody offered me this information in the future, what I would I would do? I'd immediately call the FBI. So he, he decides, okay, this is the better answer. Oh, of course I take it. Anybody would take it. Well. All he ended up doing was creating a firestorm, and now he ends up backtracking of this. My advice to the president would be over the course of the next 16 months, all right, maybe maybe the shoot-from-the-hip style that has served you admittedly well over most of your life, maybe it's time to become just a little bit more buttoned down, or alternatively, if you're not going to be more buttoned down and do away with the shoot from your hip style, maybe you don't want to be sitting down giving broad media access to reporters who aren't necessarily going to be that favorable to you in the first place. It seems to me it's one or the other. When we come back, I want to play for you about 90 seconds of TV, it's the audio from a TV report that got a weather guy fired. We're going to discuss. Stick around. An update and a follow-up to something we talked about sometime this week or maybe last week. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know from time to time over the years, I have sort of cringed at some of the ways that weather is covered. Now, I appreciate that weather is one of these things. It's a big deal, especially when there is a significant weather situation that's out there. Because weather is something that affects all of us. Maybe you care about sports. Maybe you like television, maybe you like current events, maybe you like politics. Okay, people have different preferences, but we all care about the weather because it is something that affects us. And when you have a significant weather event, when you have a severe thunderstorm or you have a a monster blizzard or whatever, yeah, I mean, I, I think the weather coverage is completely and totally warranted. The problem that occurs from time to time is because the people that do programming for TV stations, because they know that weather attracts viewers, there is occasionally a tendency to overhype weather situations and turn routine weather situations into something more than it really is. Right? And, and I think that's where people get frustrated. Well, Sinclair Broadcasting is a major broadcasting company across this nation. They own, I think, I want to say 171 TV stations across the country. It could even be more than that. They own, uh, in Milwaukee, Channel 18 and Channel 24, Sinclair Broadcasting Companies. They've got one in the Fox Valley. They've got one in in Green Bay as well. Um, But they, they own them all across the country. Apparently, at least at some of the stations, Over the last several months, Sinclair Broadcasting ran out this thing called Code Red, which was whenever whenever you have a weather situation, what they would do is they and I'm I'm looking at the video. If you want to see one of the videos of this, you can follow me. It's on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But you know they'd have this weather map with all these bright red things when it was really like like 
routine weather situations. I mean, I understand when it's a tornado. Well, okay, stop everything. There is a tornado. But when it's a thunderstorm or something, well, it's a thunderstorm. Not everything is created equally. But apparently, and this this story comes from Springfield, Illinois. And, you know, this is the time of the year. Springfield's one of those places where you get lots of tornadoes and stuff like that. So people are on edge. But apparently, like on an almost daily basis, they were coming out with these cold red weather days that the sky is falling, which led to one of their meteorologists. The guy's name was Joe, is Joe Crane. And a couple weeks ago, he went on television to talk about the Code Red Day. This is, this is what he said. Code Red was created by likely a journalism school graduate. That being said, I'm a journalism school graduate. So it's not perfect. A lot of people not very happy with this over the last few months since we've uh, uh, implemented it on Storm Team 20. That's evident by the thousands of comments on social media, letters to the editor, frequent calls to uh, local talk radio shows. We've heard you. And yes, we realize you have some very strong and passionate views about it. And as far as the Code Red name itself goes, we get that, too. I certainly do. It's certainly, when you hear Code Red, you think the, uh, as they say, the uh, the feces is about to hit the fan. So with that being said, uh, we understand your concerns, and we want you to know that we take them very seriously as far as myself goes. I don't take myself very seriously, but I do take my job seriously and my responsibility to the public. So... We want you to know it's not us. This is a corporate initiative, the Code Red Alert. And behind the scenes, many of us have tried to uh, dissuade it for the last few months to try something else that's less controversial to the viewers. And it continues to be controversial based on all the social media that continues to this day. So keep in mind, despite the fact that this facility is owned by a corporation, it's still licensed under the authority by the Federal Communications Commission to serve the public interest convenience and necessity so you still have a voice keep those cards and letters coming okay so what, what he's saying is we understand that you're you you think that we're being alarmist here we get it this is a corporate initiative and, and then th- there, there's a longer version where he goes on to explain you know like the national weather service has these gradients and they'll tell you all right there's a you know the the high risk of severe weather and a minor risk. He says this whole code red stuff, it all bunches this in together. Well, okay, so he says that he was taken off the air. Sinclair apparently says that they're going to reassess using code red, but they confirmed yesterday that he has been fired for saying that. Should he have lost his job? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course... I mean, there's no way that you can look at that without interpreting that as that that's a dig at the corporation that that he works for. So, I mean, he poked the bear and they fired him. Should he have lost his job for saying what he said? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be no. He, he he's He's right. He's telling the truth. And that it might have been a little bit embarrassing, but I think Sinclair and I think the TV station could have gained so much more, so much more credit with the viewers if they would have come out and said, you know what, you know, we've reassessed this and we think Mr. Crane is absolutely correct. Now, maybe privately you would say, hey, I wish you would have viewed it in a different sort of light, but I don't think they should have fired him. 414-799-1620. 
Let's start with Chris in Green Lake. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Chris. I heard it, heard about this earlier in the week. This is a travesty. The National Weather Service has so many good tools for forecasting and letting the public know. The fact that they came up with their own kind of fake system is a complete joke. I'm completely on the side of the meteorologists, and I'm I'm surprised meteorologists across the country aren't flocking to his defense. I, I can't even believe that they have the grounds to fire him for that. It, it's such an insult. I, I just can't believe it. Well, I mean, I think they're, I mean, most, con- I mean, I don't know what his particular contract says, but most contracts, you know, have some clause that say that if you cause embarrassment to your employer, and I'm sure they're saying, well, you embarrassed us, you know, you criticized this policy. But the bottom line was, Chris, he was right. Yeah, he was. So maybe he'll kind of be a martyr type, which is too bad for his job. But yeah, I just think what a silly thing for them to do. Like, marketing for weather for better ratings like no the national weather service takes care of that and you're just confusing people so yeah really too bad a a horrible situation it is no thanks to call now actually i mean i don't know where he ends up going my guess is if you want to look for the silver lining in this my guess is i would uh if i were if i were the general manager at another area television station or maybe one in a bigger market than springfield illinois I'd be looking at this guy because I think you get all sorts of incredibly positive publicity by saying, hey, this is a guy who's looking out for the interest of the viewers and who's willing to put the interest of the viewers and the public over, I don't know, the, these concerns about overhyping. And again, th- this isn't really a criticism of, of weather coverage in general, but you know, he just had enough of these code reds and he was just responding to what the viewers were saying. Let's talk to Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, hello. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Living in Orlando, we have a, in the, the summertime, we have a ton of storms. Yep. And, I, and, you know, being from Milwaukee, they're, I think they're like 10 times more intense, but we have a, a ton of storms. And when they overhype them, it throws off your entire day. And, and quite frankly, especially with all the seniors down here, it, it's, it's, it's kind of frightening at times yep. to overhype these storms. And so guys like this are a breath of fresh air that come on and say, hey, look, we are overhyping it. He did the right thing. And I think it's a shame on the, you know, the news media. And I want to really quick compliment to, to you guys. The one thing I do appreciate about you guys, you guys actually give the weather and then kind of separate your opinion from things or give the, the yeah. news and kind of separate your opinion from things. And that's one of my biggest issues with like news. Yeah, the I appreciate it. Is terrible. Well, Lamar, th- I like thank you. No, I appreciate that. No. And, and by the way, I mean, we, I, we, we try to be responsible and, and we, we really do. And, and at least on this radio station, we, Ever since I've worked here, that that's the idea. And, and look, here, I mean, here's the thing. I Don't get me wrong. I am not suggesting that when you've got a life-threatening sort of weather situation that you want to – obviously, you want to tell people about that. But to your point, if every day it's code red, the apocalypse is coming – um, sooner or later, people start to tune out to that so that when you do get that, that monster storm, you, you need to tell people. And I think, I think it's very, I'm sure this guy's frustration was he, he knew a lot of this was based on the fact that, well, you know, we want to, we, we want to scare people into watching us. Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, this guy probably should have should have got fired and he's probably going to get a better job with it. Uh, he keeps doing the cold reds and everything, and once there is a real, real storm, people aren't really going to be alarmed because they hear it all the time, yeah. and yeah. it's doing a disservice to the public. Yeah, I mean, right. Th- thanks for calling. And, and, and he and he's and I mean, look, I, I 
thought this he did a good job of of explaining this. Now I admit he he took a dig at the, the corporate policy. He said, you know, that this is the corporate policy, but you know, I, I have this broader I have this broader interest. To me, this is one where the corporation should turn the other cheek. And apparently, I think they have learned, and they're they're looking at this whole code red thing. So you're going to fire the guy for telling the truth to power. My guess is Joe Crane lands on his feet, but still. Uh, this is, it, you know, it's one of these interesting battles that go on. But at least for this week, he's one of my heroes. This is Jeff Wagner. I want to give you an update on a story we talked about earlier this week. And it is a story that, that has, at least in my view, a positive ending. The, the right thing was done despite efforts to try to bully certain elected officials into doing the wrong thing. Here, here is the deal. The Wisconsin Convention Center. Right, you got the downtown, you got the Pfizer Forum, and then you've got the, the Wisconsin Center District, which is the convention center. It's the Milwaukee Theater, the old Milwaukee Auditorium, and it's the UW Panther Arena, the old Milwaukee Arena. Okay, that's the convention center. That's run by a Wisconsin that's called the Wisconsin Center District Board that consists of various people who have been appointed to the board by various people. All right, so here here is the story. Their security contract is up. The, what they do is they, they contract out with private security firms to provide the security for these, these places. And it's a multi-year contract. The contract is up. And so what they did is they solicited bids from various security firms. The firm that they said was by far and away the most qualified of the four bidders. They got four bidders was this outfit called um, Permar Security from Davenport, Iowa. Right? They, they say that it's far most qualified of the four bidders. Um, also, you know, it's, it's about, now this contract's worth about $1.6 million per year. All right? Now, so you say, okay, they're the most qualified ones. The bid is reasonable. What's the issue? Well, the issue is that Permar Security Services is not a union-based contractor. All right. They're, they're non-union. Um, what the folks at the Wisconsin Center District say is for us to have gone with one of the other bidders that was unionized, it would have cost a million dollars more in money for this to, to use the unionized firm. And, and we don't think that they were as good. You know, we, we think so. This place, yes, it's non-union. But, you know, it, it's a million dollars less than the unionized place, unionized place, and we think it's the most qualified. Well, this this strikes me as being a complete and total, what's the word, no-brainer. Okay, you know, you've got the best firm, and they're going to do it, you know, for a million dollars less than this other firm would do it. Of course you go with them, right? Wouldn't you do that if you were hiring a contractor to put on a roof or paint your house or whatever? Well, of, of course you would. But here's the, the controversy. Well, you know, what happened is once the word got out that this was going to be a non-union security firm, and by the way, the, the previous firm that did this was also non-union, what you had is you had some of the local labor bosses that just went in, fu- in fuego. Oh, you, you can't do this. And they sent out letters saying, hey, if you do this, be prepared. We're going to try to disrupt the Democratic National Convention. We're going to send letters. We'll do informational picketing, all these type of things. We'll try to embarrass Milwaukee. And so what happened is you had a handful of members of the board who decided, yeah, well, what's a million dollars or so? They, they delayed the vote. 
uh, until today. The vote had been delayed from last month. So today, by a vote of 9 to 5. Now, this is unusual because the Center District Board, almost everything they do is unanimous. But by a vote of 9 to 5, they went ahead and decided to award the contract to the non-union firm. Voting against this were Gordon Hintz, which he's the Assembly Minority Leader, the guy, um, the very controversial figure from the Oshkosh area, uh, Wisconsin Department of Administration Secretary Joel Brennan, thank you, Tony Evers, uh, Common Council President Ashanti Hamilton, Milwaukee Alderman Bob Bauman, and State Senator Latanya Johnson. They voted against it. So they were the five people who said, well, you know, we are... So it's going to cost a million dollars more. You know, we want to appease the the local labor groups. Um, Thankfully, the other nine members of the board, including Wisconsin Republican Senate leader Scott Fitzgerald, State Rep Joe Sanfilippo, and others as well, um, they recognize that, you know, this is just not the way to go, and they voted to go ahead and do the right thing. So we talked about this earlier this week, and I, I think it was it was kind of 50-50 as to whether or not you'd have some people that just decided, well, we're going to capitulate to these threats, and we're going to, what's a million dollars, you know? Well, a million dollars is a million dollars. Bottom line is the best firm gets the contract, and they're going to do it for a lot less than other firms would have charged. And the fact that they're not union, well, okay, Wagner's rule of life number one, life is tough, get a helmet. This is Jeff Wagner. No, I don't think making it easier for bad drivers to get their driver's licenses back is the way to go. And yet that is precisely what they are doing in, in Milwaukee. All right, true story. We, we talk about bad driving all the time. Can I see a show of hands? Somebody, everybody who within the last 24 hours has seen somebody driving in a reckless fashion, um, driving twice the speed limit, weaving in and out of traffic, driving at a high rate of speed in the bike lane, blowing through a red light. Can, can I see a show of hands? All the hands up. Oh, look. Everybody's hand is up because if you drive around at all, you you see that. True story, yesterday, driving, um, I, I, I didn't go directly home. I had some errands, and then I went out to dinner with some friends downtown. But I'm, I, I'm driving, I'm at an intersection downtown, and the I, I'm watching, I'm coming up to the intersection. The light is is yellow. It's kind of like a stale yellow, and, and I know it's going to turn to red. So, I mean, I, I, I stop. I, I'm in my lane. The light is red. The light is red. And then I, I, I swear you could count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. The car in the lane to my right blows through the intersection. They have sped up there. I mean, it's not even it's not even close. I, I've stopped because I, I saw that it was a yellow that was going to turn to red. So I'm stopped and I've been stopped for a couple seconds. Car next to me or in that other lane blows through the red light darn near hits a pedestrian and other cars that are starting to go through there. I see this on an almost daily basis. My guess is you see this on a daily basis as well. It is a huge, huge problem. And it's compounded by the fact that you've got the people who are doing this, they just don't care. And in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, they might be driving a stolen car, or they're driving a car without insurance, or, or, 
they're driving a car without a valid driver's license. We talked a little bit yesterday about the criminal case involving the guy that got sentenced to 12 years in prison, the one who was driving along. You had the public worker who was working behind the, the um, he was filling in potholes. So you've got the DPW truck, you've got the guy you know filling potholes, and you have the car driven by the felon who comes up and, and rams into the back of the truck but ends up killing the public worker who is, you know, he's behind the truck. Guy got 12 years in prison. But, of course, the dazzling detail is he's never had a driver's license. He's 30 years old, and he's been stopped or arrested, like convicted 14 times, I think, in the last five years of not having a driver's license, and yet he's back out on the road over and over and over again. Now, I I bring this up because there was a story in the Journal Sentinel that, that really caught my attention. And it talks about how these these municipal judges in Milwaukee are rolling out all these programs and they're getting all these accolades to make it easier for people who have had their licenses suspended for a variety of reasons to get their licenses back. Now, candidly, the, the program success rate seems to me to be pretty minimal because the deal is, first of all, you have to show up and then you have to agree that you're, you're going to work out a payment plan if you've got overdue tickets or do community service or whatever. And the, the reality is the numbers is that the vast majority of them, even if they get their licenses back temporarily, they're not able to keep them because they, they don't follow through with what they, they had to do. But the idea is, the municipal judges, we want to make it easier for bad drivers or people who've had their licenses suspended, in many cases for, again, the type of reckless conduct, the type of reckless conduct that puts our lives in danger, they want to make it easier for these people to get their driver's licenses back. And the thinking seems to be twofold. Number one, um, it, it, we want to give them the driver's license back because they're going to drive anyways. So, you know, let, let's let's make it easier for them to get their driver's licenses back. I, I don't understand that. And the second thing is expressed in the Journal Sentinel story is, you know, we, we want to make it easier for people to get their driver's licenses back because then we, we think maybe the streets will be safer. Now, to me, this was a head scratcher when I saw it. But but here's here's the thinking. All right. If you're caught driving without a license, right, that could that can screw you up. And so if if you're driving in a reckless fashion and they try to pull you over and you don't have a license, there's more of an incentive for you to try to flee. Follow me on this? So you're driving without a license. You're violating the law. So when they try to pull you over, there's more incentive for you to flee. So the thinking is let's make it easier for the person who who lost the driver's license in the first place, in many cases probably for reckless driving or whatever, let's make it easier for them to get the driver's license back. Makes absolutely no sense to me. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is a completely backwards way, at least I think, to, to approach this. I understand it can mess you up if you lose your driver's license. All right? To me, that means that you have to put some teeth into the law if you drive without that license, all right, then then you're really going to be in trouble. And I would start with impounding and seizing the cars that people drive. 
rather than saying, oh, gee, you've got a bunch of tickets and you haven't paid these tickets and you've got all these moving violations and you haven't dealt with them and now you've lost your driver's license, rather than saying we're going to make it easier, Mr. Scofflaw, Mr. Bad Driver, we're going to make it easier for you to get your driver's license back, shouldn't we be encouraging people to drive responsibly in the first place? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, the way you do this isn't by making it easier for people to get their licenses back. It's by making the penalties tougher for driving without a license. And I start by saying, let's impound the cars. You start taking the cars of people who are driving without licenses. I guarantee you the number of people doing that will drop dramatically. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jordan is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. We're back. Let's talk to Rain in Milwaukee. You're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi. I uh, just wanted to talk about the corollary between what you're talking about now and the uh, with the ordinance that the city of Milwaukee put in about the idling cars. I mean, it seems to be a trend towards the, like as you said, it's a capitulation of government towards the criminal element. And I think that that is part of what we're seeing with, you know, people talk about prison reform. Like, I mean, I, I do to say, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you do say just, you know, lock them up, which is the, you know, the government's response to criminality. Um, I mean, I, what I, I guess what I want to say, what it comes down to, after having thought about it, is that we need like more of a creative approach towards, you know, criminals. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's just. I mean, I guess that's that's what I. Have to okay. Say. Well, I mean, I guess I, I don't. I, I mean, I, I think this is a relatively creative sort of approach if you're going to drive repeatedly i mean okay the guy that they got sentenced yesterday who killed the public service worker i I think off the top of my head i think 14 prior convictions for driving with a suspended or revoked or without a license i don't think he ever had a driver's license he continued to drive cars over and over and over again nothing that the system did deterred him from doing that and now you have a public service worker who is dead i I I mean, can you put everybody who drives without a license behind bars for two years? No, I don't think you can do that. Matter of fact, that's why I think it's kind of a creative idea to suggest, okay, here's the deal. You know what? We're going to start by taking the car. You know, you're driving without, you know, without a license in a car. We're going to take it. Now, does that solve the problem? Absolutely. No, because a lot of the cars that are involved in this type of thing are stolen. Okay, so I mean you're not going to you're not going to impound the stolen car. That would be victimizing the victim. But in that case, all right, the person that's driving it, you, you do want to send them to jail. All right, you're driving that stolen car. Now, I know we don't like to do that in Milwaukee, but I'd put that person in jail. But let's say just the, the regular situation of somebody who doesn't care. Yes, my license has been suspended. Yes, I keep caught, get caught driving, but I want to keep driving. There needs to be some penalty for that. And I guess I, I think you start off with saying we're taking the vehicle. Now, if it turns out to not be your vehicle, how do you do it? Well, you have something like they do with the federal forfeiture laws for like the innocent owner. Somebody has to come in and say, well, okay, I had, I had no idea that Jordan didn't have a driver's license when I lent him the car. And then you, you make them prove that. Okay. You know, that's fine. But otherwise, yeah, you take the car. And will this create hardships? Of course. 
course it'll create hardships. I understand that, but it might also deter people from getting behind the wheel when they shouldn't. I mean, and isn't that what the game is or should be? Josh in Shorewood. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hi, I just uh, wanted to basically reflect exactly what you were saying. I think at this point in time, I think almost everyone is just fed up with this. It's an absolute joke. Um, as far as just letting these people just getting off the hook with these repeat offenders yeah. and it's just constantly happening. Um, I think it's just pretty simple is if you have an action, you have a dangerous action, there's a consequence to that. It's kind of the same thing that we've been seeing with the carjackings that have been going on with Milwaukee where mm-hmm. it kind of just brushed under the rug and it just keeps happening and festers. And it's just something that it just needs to change. I yeah. think everyone is just absolutely just to fed up. To their- No, you're right, Josh. No, thanks. You're you're right, and you know, and we've started to see a little bit of a change in that. Okay, the police department has done away with what I thought was this idiotic policy of letting people, you know, just run away and and not chasing. Okay, so now we chase, and and yes, the number of chases are up, but you know what? The the number of arrests are up as well. And I I think bottom line is, sooner or later, you're going to start discouraging this behavior. Well, when it comes to reckless driving and people driving without a license and driving without proper insurance and things like like that no you can't put them all in prison but what you can do instead of making it easier for them to get their licenses back so they continue to drive in a reckless fashion what you can do is you can take the cars and then they're not going to be driving this is jeff wagner live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner so melissa when you were in high school did you bring a lunch? Did you eat the prepared lunch? How did how did you work? Well, out? I remember it being like a la carte, so it was on like a a debit like a debit card thing. Okay, yeah. So I didn't bring a lunch. I just ate the hot lunch or whatever was. You there. ate the hot lunch yeah, yeah, that yeah. was there. Mm-hmm. Jordan, how about you? Were you a bring a lunch or a take the hot lunch that was there? Kind of both in a way. Sometimes it depends on the day, but Friday was always like hot lunch for me. Because they had, like, pizza or something good on yeah, Friday? Yeah, usually it was the same old, same old pattern. <laughs> okay. every, well, I remember in high school, every Tuesday was, like, pasta. Like Wednesday was... Pork-shaped patty on a bun. I remember yeah, that one, right? right, right. <laughs> we Southbury didn't know what steak. it was really made of, but... <laughs> okay, all right. Well, see, that, that is interesting perspectives. Now, I'm a little bit older than, than... Or in some cases, a lot older than you guys. But, see, I was a child of the 70s. And one of the things... If you went to Nicolay High School in Glendale in, in the 70s, we had a completely and totally open campus... So you could come and go as you chose. And so if you, you know, if you knew somebody who had a car, um, now I, I lived about three blocks away from the school, so I, I would go home at lunch a lot of times and eat. But, but if you knew somebody who had a car, you could hop in that car and you could go to any one of a number of fast food restaurants that were in that that whole corridor around Nicolay High School and there were a lot of them you want to make a run to the A&W you want to go to the McDonald's etc you could go there and you know you you could generally speaking you, you, if you didn't get back in time you were you were in trouble but you could come and go so if if you didn't want to eat I I'm sure I ate in the Nicolay High School cafeteria sometimes over the course of the four years that I was there. But as I sit here today, I honestly can't remember when. But again, you could come you could come and go, brought the lunch or go home for lunch or, you know, go out with your friends. All right. Well, nowadays, fewer schools have open campuses, but there's still this tension involving school lunches. First of all, ever since you had the Obama era lunch regulations, well, it's been a challenge for a, a lot of schools because, 
you know, I, look, and I'm all in favor of nutrition. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm all in favor of people eating better and things like that. But you know, some of these restrictions are just so ridiculous that the kids they they they, they don't like the food that is being produced because you know some of the rules on salt and things like that they, they just don't like them. So you've had all these stories about. Um, waste and things like that. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, we, we put the vegetable on the kid's plate, but you can't make them eat it. And then you look at the trash can and it's, you know, all the stuff is, is thrown away. So nowadays, you know, the, the two choices have been you either bring your lunch from home or you go and you have the hot lunch at the cafeteria and maybe it's hit and miss. Some days maybe you can find something, some days you can't. At a number of schools, and this is the trend now throughout the country, there is a third option. Just like with an open campus in the 70s, we would go to all right, different fast food restaurants or whatever. What is something that happens now? And that is you don't have to go to the restaurants. You have lots and lots of restaurants. And what do they do? They deliver. You know, Jimmy John's freaky fast delivery. Call them up. They deliver the sandwiches. Cordoba, what, whatever it is, they deliver. So Chipotle, I mean, here, here's, here's what happens. A number of schools are finding that what kids are doing nowadays is they are having food delivered. They're calling up Chipotle. They're calling up Jimmy John's, and they're saying, you know, deliver this. You know, and we'll meet you at the school office at 12.05 or whatever your lunch hour is, and, and we'll, we'll take it. Now, school officials are starting to balk at this because they're saying, well, okay, it's two things. First of all, th- this isn't the this isn't the 1970s. We don't have open campuses and we're concerned with security and we don't want delivery drivers, you know, coming into the, the schools, even if they, they sign in and, and go to the office. We don't want that. And then number two, there's other people who are saying, well, you don't understand, you know, th- this fast food, the stuff that they order from the Jimmy John's or from wherever, you know, that might not meet our nutritional needs, and we would rather have the kids in the cafeteria. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, you now have these deliveries, right? The kids aren't going off the campus, but the kids are trying to bring the, the restaurants to them. I want to know legitimately what you think about this. If you've got restaurants that are willing to deliver all right, should the kids be able to take advantage of that and call the delivery services and have the food brought in? Should the school stop this? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if your kids wanted to do this, would you applaud that? If your school, kids' school wanted to stop it, do you think that they would be out of line? I will tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but I'm legitimately curious. All right, if these places are now all willing to deliver to the local high school, should they be able to? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. I'm generally curious to see where people are going to come down on this. And again, I, I used to... When I went to high school back in the day, open campus, you could leave. You know, you you weren't trapped at the school. You could, if you had a friend who had a car, or you had a car, you could go. People used to Nicolay. People used to go to all the fast food places down on Port Washington Road. I used to go home all the time because I lived a couple blocks away from the school. Now, what kids are doing if they don't like what's being served in the cafeteria and they haven't brought their own lunch, they're, they're calling any of these delivery services, whether it's you know Jimmy John's or Grubhub or DoorDash or anything, and they're ordering food to be delivered to the 
school. Some schools are apoplectic. Should the schools stop this? 414-799-1620. Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. The world doesn't make sense for me anymore. I would not allow that. Those taxpayers are paying the office staff to run and maintain the school, not to be the butler, not to be the secretary for these children. And then when you think about it, what's being delivered really in those brown bags? Right. It's so. I, I can't right. believe this. So, I would not. I would not allow that. Okay. So your concern isn't so much do the kids do the kids want to order Jimmy John's and having Jimmy John's. It's like how are you going to get that Jimmy John's to them? And it shouldn't be a problem of the, the school officials shouldn't have to be like you. I like your phrase being the butlers for the kids. Right. The office staff they're not the short order. You know, waitresses and or anything else to arrange the meals. You know, the kids if they want a brown bag from Jimmy John's. Bring it the you know, buy it the night before. Right, and bring it. Okay, not have it delivered. Okay. Interesting. No, I get it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty W uh that's our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me see. Lots of text here. Good for the kids. This is what Jim in Milwaukee says. It might force the school to provide food the kids actually want to eat. Um, you know, that's kind of the free market there. All right, here's a text. Jeff, I remember when Pizza Hut delivered personal pizzas and you could uh, buy them at lunch and the school would get a cut of the sales. Then it was stopped because it was not healthy. Well, the kids have apparently figured out a loophole to this. More power to them. All right, here, I, I guess I, I want to, I'll give you my take on this because it's, it's really, it's twofold. First of all, I, I don't have a problem with the kids eating fast food stuff. All right, that that's that's not it. And and I actually do agree with one of our texters. I think that that's you know maybe that's a way of pressuring the the school district and to figure out a, a way how can we make lunches more more attractive. You know how how can we how can we make it more appealing for people to you know want to go through the cafeteria on more than just like a, a one day basis. All right, so that's kind of. My, my general feeling as to the food coming in, but I think Paul has an excellent point, and it's the one that's being brought up by a number of our texters. Here's one. I think it's way too much work for the office personnel to manage the multitude for kids ordering. If the kids don't like what's being served, let them bring a lunch from home, just as we did. The kids will survive just fine. Thank you. See, I I agree that it's a it's different and this is one of those ones where I, I understand to an extent it's you know do as you know I, I say not as I did so I started off this by saying yeah I'm, I'm a kid of the 70s it was open lunch you could come and go we live in a different time now for better or worse we live in a different time you don't have a lot of open campuses you don't have open schools as a general rule at almost every school imaginable you just can't walk in used to be you could just walk into schools and things like that now what you have to do is you have to come in and you have to sign in and a lot of the schools are locked you got to register at the office and, and i i do agree that the last thing that the people who are working in the in the administration, the office needs, that the school secretary, whoever, you know, you have to sign in with, you know, the last thing they need is 20 or 30 different delivery drivers pulling up between 1130 and 1 o'clock and, and dropping off sandwiches for, you know, who, whoever. Ah, oh, this is this is for Jordan. You know, he, he ordered two of these Jimmy John's. What are they supposed to do? Like, check to make sure that the order was correct? See, I just... I don't think that that is a practical matter to me. And there is the security issue as as well that's that's there. Uh, George, who's calling us from Illinois. George, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I graduated a long time ago. (laughs) Okay. But what's to stop the mad bomber or the gunman 
from knocking over some Jimmy John place and having yeah. a, a uniform. Hey, yeah. I can go in. They don't know who I am. I'll sign in for Billy Joel and yeah. walk in and have his due. Well, that can happen. I know there's weirdos out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree. It, it's to me, to me, this is a security nightmare. And and again, it's just it's a different it's a different world. You can't have. You, you certainly can't have delivery drivers wandering around. Hey, I'm going down to B Wing, you know, to to try to find Jeff. You can't have him doing that. That's obvious. And you can't have. It's not reasonable to expect again the whoever it is that's signing people in to to take the orders and then distribute them. I just think it's it's kind of a practical matter, which is it's it's not so much for the taste. It's not so much for the nutrition. It's just. You know, I I just don't see how this practically works. And if I was a school principal, I'd be saying no way. And exactly like one of our other callers said, you know, you want to bring a cousin sandwich in, God bless you, go buy the cousin sandwich the night before and then bring it to school. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, thanks, Nicole. Right. I mean, it's just this is one of those examples where, at least in my opinion, it's just it's a different time. Now, I guess if a school wanted to do this and I don't know why the school would want it. You could, you know, you could arrange, hey, we're going to have this one designated area where, you know, people can go and they can drop off food or something. Again, I, I don't know what would be in it for the school. And from a perspective of tax dollars, I'm trying to picture if I'm one of the residents of this community and, and you're saying, OK, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put this one area um, off by the, the bus depot where the buses drop off. And from 1130 till one o'clock, we're going to have, you know, one of the school officials stand there and accept the deliveries. And then the kids can go and pick them up from that school official. My first question is going to be, are we paying that school official? So, I, I mean... I, I just, I think, I just don't, I don't see the practicality of that. I don't see how you get the kids that are walking through the schools. Let's talk to Angela in Wauwatosa. Hi, Angela. Hi, how are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, my take on this is I've got a friend who works for Jimmy John's. He's a manager. And he said that the kids are ordering this food off of apps. Yep. And so the, the employees at Jimmy John's are required to fill the order, like other places, they can't tell if it's a child or an adult. Right. And so then they take it to the school, and the school won't take the food. Right. Um, and then it's already paid for. So that's, and then secondly, I work in schools, and the high schools generally have a lot of choices for food. I mean, they really yeah. do. So yeah. I, don't, I don't really see a need for kids to be ordering out. I mean, that's just a distraction, and it creates competition. This kid gets Jimmy John's every day. I gotta eat school lunch, you know. Yeah, well, right. And again, and if you want to bring Jimmy John's, buy Jimmy John's the night, have it delivered the night before, and put it in a paper sack and bring it to school and eat it. You know, that's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's it's not so much the fast food, but just as a practical matter. I mean, I just it it is it's a different world, you know. Maybe if we had apps forty years ago with open campuses, maybe you could figure out to work it. But with with school security, and the last darn thing you need is more people. Is is, is with all due respect to sandwich delivery people, last thing you need is sandwich delivery people wandering around the schools. Nothing good can come of that. Nothing good. Exactly. Yeah. There's just no place for it. No, thanks to call. But this is just so you know. This this is the it's the new trend, and I appreciate Angela's perspective. I can imagine that you know. The kids are ordering it on the app and thinking, "Okay, well, we're we're going to get this anyways." And the Jimmy John's guy shows up, and they say, "Nope, sorry, that's not going to work." At least the sandwiches are already paid for. It's two twenty six. This is Jeff Wagner. Have a text, Jeff. Schools should be opportunistic and invite these places in to sell. 
with the schools taking a cut of the sales. Well, yeah, that's a now that's a whole different uh, story that, that's out there. Um, my my niece just finished her second year at San Diego State, and I remember being. I, I think back to again back in the day. Hey, old timer, let's talk about back in the day. I think back, you know, that when when I was in college, there was a college cafeteria that you went to, and it had multiple choices in the cafeteria line, but it was still a cafeteria. Now I, I remember when about a year ago we were out visiting Sydney in San Diego, and you go into there, there's not really a cafeteria per se. There's the the student union, and in the student union, you've got one place after another there must be 16 or 17 places including all these different commercial places that are there where you have all the, these businesses that have set up shop you know they got the pizza hut there or, or whatever they got the cordoba they got the chipotle all those places that are there and you know they the kids can, can buy stuff from them as part of their meal plan and you know that the school there is getting a cut so that's you know that's probably that's a whole different story if people want to go that route all right I have an email I want to share with you. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I have continued to, I, I admit, get on my soapbox from time to time about the presence of coyotes or coyotes, depending on what part of the country you grew up in, in the metropolitan area, attacking um, attacking small animals. And I, I think the day is coming when they're going to start attacking kids as well. Um, and, and I understand this is controversial. Some of you welcome coyotes through the area. With all due respect, I think you're nuts. I, I, I think you're absolutely nuts. But here's here's what I got from one of our listeners. Um, they're passing on an email that went out to property owners of, of an apartment building um, on Water Street downtown. This is Water Street downtown. It says, Dear residents, we've spotted a few coyotes or coyotes around the property today. This is on Water Street in downtown Milwaukee. For those of you who have dogs, especially small ones, please be careful. Okay, so you, you live in downtown Milwaukee. You've got the rats. Now you've got the coyotes or the coyotes. Um, yeah, if you have dogs, especially small ones, please be careful. Sooner or later, there's going to be a kid that's going to be attacked, and everybody's going to say, why didn't we do anything about this? Just asking. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. And Pop Culture Corner sponsored by our friends at New Fem Medical. Check it out. All right. Uh, next Saturday, Jordan, I'm going to a wedding next Saturday. 450 people. It's an outdoor wedding. I don't know 450 people. You know, you, 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 you could say, Jeff, you, you know, we're going to have this wedding for 450 people. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, 450 people and, you know, big deal, lot, lots of stuff. I, I absolutely, I, I, I adore the mother and father of the bride, of the bride. And, you know, it's going to be just, it's going to be a great time. So I'm looking forward to it. But they're, they're bringing a band in. So of course there is, and they are bringing the band in from out of town. There's going to be, you know, dancing and stuff like that. There's going to be partying into the wee hours of the evening. If you don't mind me asking, where is it being held? At their home, okay. At their home in the Milwaukee area, but they have a, they they, they have a home that is big enough to to host Hold a party 400, for four hundred. Are you kidding well, me? Out, well, the wedding is scheduled to be outdoors. Wow. <laughs> you know? So if I I the, the I asked what the plan B was, but 
I, I, this is the story. I, I told this story before. We had this ceremony. This It's called Bury the Bottle. We did this a couple of weeks ago, and this is apparently a Southern tradition. You dig a hole in the backyard. You take a bottle of Jack Daniels. You put it in upside down. Then you fill it in, and then there's this like ceremony that you have. There were like 20 of us, and it's supposed to guarantee that the weather will be good. Now, of course, I'm standing there participating in this, and I'm watching. It's a leader of old number seven. I'm like, we are going to dig this up after the wedding and drink it, right? And I've been assured that there will be a separate party for that. So, yeah, so, no, there's going to be tents and stuff. But obviously, okay, we've got that bottle buried, you know, so that's going to be cool. So we're guaranteed, you know, good good weather. But, you know, so there's going to be a big dance, big dance floors, stuff like that. And I'm kind of, I'm sort of looking forward to it. I'm a guy who doesn't necessarily dance that much, but every once in a while you get the right tune, I'm up there dancing. Last Saturday night, I told a, a version of this story on Monday, we were at the Paul McCartney concert in, in Lambeau, and you know McCartney puts on a, a great concert, and lots and lots of people including some people who maybe should have been sitting down instead of standing up. But, you know, lots and lots of people were, were dancing, um, especially to, you know, there, there's a number of, like, the old Beatles songs and stuff that, you know, when, when McCartney plays them, you just, you know, you just got to get up. You know, when he plays I Saw Her Standing There, you just, you know, you just got to get up and, and dance. So given the fact that the summer Summer is the time for the outdoor festivals. We've got Summerfest kicking off in, what, about 10 days or so, and people will be going down, and they'll be, you know, out at the various stages, and they'll be dancing around on the picnic tables and stuff, or, you know, elsewhere, or maybe, like me, you're going to be going to a church festival, you're going to be going to a wedding, and people are going to be dancing. I thought for Pop Culture Corner today, um, you know, we would talk about that, that, that songs that you, you just got to dance to. All right, here's my question. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the song that just, when it comes on, you've got to get up and dance? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It could be a slow song, but in general, it's probably going to be that one that, you know, you're sitting there and you're doing like the chair dancing through a lot of the tunes, but all of a sudden you hear that song, it's, that's it. I got to get up. I got to dance. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The song that when you hear it, you've just got to get up and dance. We'll give Jordan an opportunity to line up the calls. As I always say during this segment, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. We want to get to as many calls as possible. And do not overthink this. Sometimes people say, well, that sounds dumb. I don't care if it sounds dumb or not. It's the song that you just got to get up and shake your booty to. 414-799-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Femme Medical, the McCartney song that got me on my feet. I'm back in the USSR. You just couldn't sit down. We have, I'm being swamped with texts. They're a lot of fun. Um, Jeff, I rarely dance, but every time Dancing Queen by ABBA comes on, I have to attempt to shuffle around. Um, another one, um, Shout. Yeah, that's that's one. Every, that's, of course, Shout is Shout, you know, from, uh, if you saw Animal House, that movie, that's the one that at the toga party they're all dancing to, you know, Shout. Okay, 414-799-1620. When you hear it, you've got to be dancing. Let's start with Tyler in Oconomowoc. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. How's it going, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Okay, when you hear the song, you got to dance. 
Uh, it's a little goofy, but everybody knows it. The chicken dance. <laughs> so, so that's it. So you're gonna be, you're sitting at that wedding, and you're gonna be like, "Nah, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up." But once the chicken dance comes on, you are there. Oh yes, sir. I'll be leaving the bar before I even get my beer, and I'll be out there shaking my booty. <laughs> you are. Thanks to call. You are a true Wisconsin guy, Joanne in Milwaukee. Joanne, you're on WTMJ. I have to say Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. That song, I can dance in my car with that song. It comes on and I'm there. Okay, so that, so so that's just it. So if, if you're at the wedding or whatever and that tune's I, being played, you're grabbing your husband. A wedding, I was at a wedding on my way out and they started playing that song and I'm like, I'm staying. <laughs> We're, Ran out to the dance floor and started dancing. We are going back in. Okay, cool. 414-799-1620. By the way, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I did... Uh, I found this one list of songs that says, uh, I mean, it's 10 songs that you absolutely, 10 songs that will cause you to dance like an idiot. So if you want to check that out, it's uh, on Twitter, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Agnes in Sheboygan. Hi, Agnes. You're on WTMJ. Hey there. Hi there. My favorite is Respect by Aretha Franklin. Okay. So you're up there dancing, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? You bet. Yeah, well, that's right, and that's a great song. Oh, thanks to God, that, that's a great song. It's it's catchy, and you know, it, it's also it's one that. Well, I don't know. I I don't dance very much, and there's reasons if you ever saw me why I don't dance that very much because I've I've got you know th- those kind of rhythm issues. But nevertheless, that's one that you can kind of you can kind of move around to. Let's talk to Diane in Germantown. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, it Diane. was a great concert, wasn't it? I loved Paul it. McCartney. I loved it. 76 years old. Wow. Oh, I know. All, um, for three hours. Unreal. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, The Rascals, I'm Good Lovin' and Money Money by Tommy Jane. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Good love. Thanks. For, I like them both. Good Loving in particular. That's uh, That works out well. No question about it. Phil in Two Rivers. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Okay, you yeah, can dance I, to it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what I like about you by the romantics, it just takes me back to the yeah. high school cafeteria, Friday night dances, dancing on the tables in the cafeteria. Yeah, you know, isn't that the funny thing about music sometimes, that it's just, it, you you know, you it just takes you back to a particular time whenever you hear a given song. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a little bit of hay in there and some harmonica and a lot of guitar work. It's a great song to dance to. Yeah, no, thanks. For, you know, it, it's funny. I, it's it, it's not a dance song, but Night Moves that for Bob Seger. That, that's just one that wherever I hear it, it just takes me back to a particular time, you know, years and years ago, and I just remember it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Kevin in Delafield. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, when you hear the tune, that's you cool. got to dance. For me, it's Do the Twist. Oh. Doesn't take a whole lot of talent. Just takes a little <laughs> bit of twisting. <laughs> that's that's right. Well, sometimes you got to twist low. You know, you, sometimes you, you got to twist it. low. <laughs> thanks, thanks for, yeah, do yeah, chubby checker. Do the twist. Um, Wendy and Vernon. Wendy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Wendy. My my favorite party or dancing song is "Blurred Lines" by Robin Thicke. Okay. It's a really good, a really good song. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I am, I am familiar with that one. Oh, that, what okay. is it? What is it that you like so well about that? That makes you? Wh- I don't what? know. I just have a catchy beat. It just gets everybody up and dancing. I don't know. I like it. Okay. Well, no, that's that. That's that's outstanding. Let me see. Here's here's a couple on on this list. And again, I got the full list on ten songs that will cause you to dance like an idiot. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, um, Twist and Shout by the Beatles. You're the one that I want. 
um, from Greece. You know, Olivia Newton-John, you're the one that I want. Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Any Way You Want It by Journey. Billy Jean by Michael Jackson. Huh, those are just, uh, oh, and then the one, Happy. Um, remember the, the, the Happy song? I'm not sure that makes me want to dance. I, because that's a song that just, it's one of those earworms, but happy makes the list. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to George, who's calling us from Illinois. Hi, George. Hi, thanks for taking my other call. Yes, sir. Um, Lady by uh, Kenny Rogers. Okay, it's kind of that, that's the one, that's the slow dance thing. That that gets you, right. that, that close dancing and stuff. Yeah. yeah, at my age, I uh, don't do too much slower than him. Well, thanks for going. But sometimes, sometimes it just kind of takes over. Okay, here's some of the text. Jeff, I'm embarrassed to say this, but at weddings, any Spice Girls song, people get up and do whatever they want and dance. That's the, that's the Spice Girl. Okay, just like me, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, they'll probably be back at State Fair again. Moni Moni, as one of the callers said that. Dot, uh, dot, 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 dot. Uh, let's see, uh, Old Time Rock and Roll by Roy Orbison. Yeah, see, that's it. Glenn Miller, okay, this is, you know, this is actually, it's a cross-generational one. Glenn Miller, who was way before my time, but his song In the Mood, that was a huge dance thing, you know, back in the day. Devil with the Blue Dress on, yep, 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 that all works too. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ron in Brown Deer. Hi, Ron. Hi. Hi, Ron. What do you, okay, song makes you dance. Um, I actually have two songs. Uh, one is, uh, Macarena. Oh, yeah, dude, dude. Yes, I, yes, I remember that. That was, that's the big song from the mid 90s. Yes. <laughs> and the other one is YMCA. Oh, well, you see, you can, thanks. Absolutely, Ron. That's, that's one. Okay. I, I admit that. That that YMCA by the Village People is not one of my very favorite tunes. I fully acknowledge that, but I admit that if I am sitting somewhere, I don't know that I'm going to get up and dance to it, but if I'm sitting there, I find myself doing the YMCA thing as, as well. Yep, 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 YMCA. Not necessarily proud of that, but yeah, I, I understand that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Carlene in Greendale. Carlene, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? I am well. Good, good. How about uh, give me some old-time rock and roll? Bob Seger. You got it. Well, you know, and just think of, I mean, you could, I, I by the way, I love the old-time rock and roll, and that's yeah. the one. That that's the one that Tom Cruise was dancing to in in Risky yep, Business, right? Okay, the one in okay. I I like that tune, anyways. Though no, you're you're right. But you know, you could probably pick out any one of a half dozen, you know, Seeger songs, and right, and they'd be right. the perfect you gotta one. Get up. <laughs> yeah, you do. But no, thank, thank that's right. I mean, if for people who haven't ever seen the movie Risky Business, which was one of Tom Cruise's first movies, he's doing he's dancing around in his underwear underwear to. Um, uh, old time rock and roll. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, good afternoon. Hi, how's it going? Uh, how about you should be dancing by the BG? Well, you're a disco guy, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone has to go out there and act like John Travolta. <laughs> that's that's right. So well, right. You, you know, and, and again, just like we were talking about with with Seeger, almost any you you could go up the. There, there's so many different like BG songs. You know, the one I think of all the time is "Staying Alive." You know, yeah. staying alive, stay up, yeah, right. But any one of those, right? It's and look, I I understand. Matter of fact, 
I was going to do a topic about this, but I just I didn't get around to it. Forty years ago today, this week, forty years ago in July, July twelfth was the disco demolition where they had the, like the semi riot at Comiskey Park in Chicago because one of the local DJs there said, "Here, let let's come in and let's blow up our our disco records and stuff." Well, all right, you know, I I kind of get that, but at the same time. I don't know. Some of these things have catchy beats. And, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that was bad about the disco era, like, you know, some of the big hair and certainly the leisure suits, God knows. But, you know, some of the tunes still kind of catchy. I I watched um, Saturday Night Fever uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you still staying alive, staying alive. You want to get up and uh, do that. Let's talk to Maria in Milwaukee. Maria, you're on WTMJ. Hi, yes, I like the electric slide <laughs> okay. all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so that's it. When that's coming on, you're up there and you're shaking your booty. I sure am. The family knows any party I go to, put on the electric slide and here comes Maria on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael. That's what you tell the band. I do not know what this band at this wedding I'm going to next Saturday. I don't know what they're going to play to try to get the crowd up, but all those would be good ideas. Um, I'd say we're kind of up against the clock. I'm sorry. Some of the ones, any Aretha Franklin song, yeah, um, Celebration, September by Earth, Wind, and Fire, Play That Funky Music, yeah, that's certainly one. Only the Good Die Young by Billy Joel. Uh, dot, 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 Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Okay, I like the Johnny Cash stuff as well. In any event, whatever, whatever your tune is, okay, whatever causes you to do that, I hope you get a chance to go somewhere this summer, whether it's State Fair or whether it's Summerfest or whether it's a church festival or whether it's a backyard party or whether it's a wedding. And I hope you get to hear that song that just doesn't matter whether you're 7 or 70 or 80 makes you say, you know, I'm going to get up and dance. And here's my advice to you. All right, look. I admit I look silly when I do it, but I'm past that. You know, don't let looking silly stop you from having fun. Life is too short. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Thanks for playing this afternoon on Pop Culture Corner. I always love this feature, sponsored by New Mail, um, sponsored by New Femme Medical. Yes, New Femme Medical. Got it.